John chapter 5. Start reading there in verse 24. Just a moment when I get there. John 5 and verse 24. Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he is granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous. Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of my Father who sent me. One thing we want to recognize and appreciate is that Jesus is laying down some very foundational aspects here. Not just that there's going to be some reckoning at some point later on, some sort of vague concept or idea. But he's giving us something that we're looking forward to, that we're expecting, that we're seeing in the future. And I'd like for us to discuss that today, but not just that. I want us in in addition to look at a few basic things concerning the judgments of God. This, of course, is a topic where If we want to get into the weeds and go down rabbit holes, we could. And there are some things about the judgment of God, the last day, you might say, the day of judgment. There are some things that we just frankly can't know entirely in terms of the explicit order of things, in terms of what exactly is going to happen. The Bible gives us, I believe, enough to go on, so much so that we can be prepared for this day. And in fact, in looking back at previous judgments of God throughout history, I believe we can learn something about what to see here. And we want to look at some some basic things in uh, in concerning these things. I I wonder if this world, you know, the people out there that think about this day of judgment, what the importance of it is. One time... I was at the Pines years and years ago, and in the conversation, it came up about Judgment Day. And I know one of the fellows there kind of, you know, nudged the guy next to him and said, yeah, but we're going to have a second chance here, you know, and they sort of chuckled among themselves, and I just kind of, well, what do you mean? And they proceeded to tell me the whole premillennialist spiel that Jesus is going to come for a literal thousand years, and that those who did not obey him the first time are going to have a second time to be able to understand, oh, so this is Jesus. Well, now that he's actually physically here, I'll serve him. The Bible has no such thing. We find nothing in Scripture to show that. 
And we need to know in terms of his judgment, what are we looking for and what should others be looking for as well? Just a few basic things. We want to look at what I would call God's continuous judgment. We want to look at God's specific judgment. And we want to, as best we can from the scriptures, have sort of an order of the last judgment. What does the Bible tell us about uh, the order of when things will happen? And again, this is a place where we might... uh, have some disagreement there, that's fine. I I may be missing something there. But at the last, we want to remember, I must go to heaven. That needs to be my priority. That needs to be my focus in all of this, that I want to go to heaven, and I want everyone around me to go to heaven. And that must override and inform every single decision that I make in this life. So, As I said, let's look at God's continuous judgment. What we find, if you turn to Romans 2, is that God has an eternal, holy standard. God has an expectation for His people. God has has always had an expectation for humanity. And I think this is touched on in Romans 2 and verse 12. Romans 2 and verse 12, Paul writes, For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Now, the parentheses in verses 13 and verse 15, obviously we're not there in the original Greek text, but if we tie this all together, if we read it that way without verses 13 through 15, Think about it this way. For as many of his sin without law will also perish without law, and as many of sin in the law will be judged by the law in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Again, our actions here on earth matter. And those actions are leading to a particular goal in mind. And our actions and our lives will be measured to a certain standard that God has decreed for all mankind. And in a sense, it has always been this way. The Gentiles were a law to themselves, but there was a time when they knew God and they turned away from Him. Just as there was a time when Israel knew God but turned away from Him. And so now God has wiped all those distinctions away. Every man is judged on his own merits. We can see that. But it wants to see, too, that God's judgments are constant. There is a constant sense to these things. And I want to look at a couple of passages that I think uh, will bear that out. First of all, in 2 Peter 2 and verse 4, And this is sort of at the start of a thought. We won't complete that thought. But I just want to make a small point about this. He says in uh, 2 Peter 2 and verse 4, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness, to be reserved for 
judgment. Now, I think judgment there is referring to this final judgment. But you think about what's happening here. God is carrying out punishment toward those who have been disobedient. And He is carrying out this punishment before the final day of judgment. They're reserved for judgment, yet the punishment has already been meted out. Just think in your minds about, for example, Luke 18. And we can discuss and debate about, you know, is this a, a waiting place? You know, torment, Abraham's bosom. I believe it is to some, to some degree. But that is before the final judgment. So what happens to men before the final judgment? Well, I think, again, Luke 18, the, the rich man, he's in torment. Uh, a consequence, a punishment has been carried out, yet we are before the final judgment. And so I think there is a general sense where God's justice is cumulative in a sense. Now, another statement is in Luke 17. You'll note all throughout scriptures, especially in the words of the prophets and in the words of the New Testament writers, there is the phrase, the coming of the day of the Lord. And in the New Testament especially, as we see this, we want to try to parse out and we may be able to, to see the distinctions and determine, well, are we talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, which is something the Christians of the first century would have been very much concerned about because Jesus warned about it and he said you need to be out of Jerusalem when you see those things that are warned about, right? But let's notice that the Bible has multiple days of the Lord. In Luke 17 and verse 22, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Uh, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, you will not see it. Another reference, verse 26. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. What I would submit is that Jesus is not just talking about the final judgment. And especially in terms of the destruction of Jerusalem. That was a day of the Lord. We don't have that recorded in Scripture, but we know that Jesus warned about it. We know that the carrying out of this was according to the will of the Lord. And we can link that all that in and link together. So thus, while the New Testament clearly shows there is a specific day that we should be preparing for in the future, we also have to recognize that the judgment of God is multifaceted, just like the rest of who God is, and expands all uh, the ages of mankind. God is a complex being, so in the same way we should not easily simplify his judgments and his statutes. Here's a quote from E.C. Robinson. He says, man is being judged every day. Every man honest with himself knows where he's going to. Those who are not honest with themselves are playing a trick. And if they're not careful, they will get a trick played on them. I just thought that was an interesting thing to think about. You know, I, I do think there's some truth to that. That in many men's hearts, that they know that they're not right. They know that they're not pleasing to God. And so in, in comparison with this, in contrast to... Think about this, but at the same time, while God's judgments are constant, he cannot let sin go on without a solution. Paul writes in Acts 17 and verse 30, you know, we can look at this passage and we can look at it as accommodative and say, well, you know, think about, think about what he's saying here. I'll, I'll finish my thought in a second. But in Acts 17 and verse 30, Paul on Morris Hill, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent 
because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So there you have the warning, you have the event referred to, and you have the proof that this is going to happen, of the resurrected Christ, the resurrected Savior. But we might look at that and say, well, these times of ignorance God overlooked as if, well, God wasn't concerned about the sin. Now, we know that's not true. And we know that God had a plan for these things. But now, verse 30, this is the important thing. Now commands all men everywhere to repent. That's the command. So there is a solution, and there is going to be a final reckoning in this same sense. 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Read there verses 9 through 11. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. So again, there is some aspect here where... God's judgments are constant. There is a constant sense where he, we're constantly being judged. God knows where we are. And there's plenty of other passages we can look at. Uh, Re- Revelation 2 and 3, I mean, that's a, that's a consistent, constant judgment of God upon the churches. God knows what the churches are up to. The Lord knows the state of the local congregations. So we can go from there. But uh, another interesting quote from... Um, R.W. Dale here. Men say, where is the need of it? We are being judged now. Every hour that passes bears witness before God to what we are. We ourselves are putting the evidence day after day. The court is already opened. The judge is already sitting. And further, the penalties of sin and the rewards of fidelity. These are being received already. They're not to begin in another world and after death. Here and now, the laws of the universe, which are the laws of God, eternally just, are executing themselves. The reward comes. The punishment comes at once. It is this that gives solemnity and dignity to life. He goes on, Yes, but if so, what did Christ mean? What did Paul mean? They spoke of a judgment which for every man lies in the future, and of penalties and rewards which are to be the result of that judgment. If this theory be true, that the laws of God eternally just are executing themselves, there is no need for the intervention of Christ as judge. If the rewards and penalties come now, it is an error to be looking forward to an awful hour when there shall be a revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And I think that really determines something, doesn't it? I know maybe we don't have too many people. This was written back in 1898, by the way. I'm not sure how many people we have today who are saying that the judgments of God are being carried out all the time, per se. There was that theory, and there still is that theory, that, that uh, God just wound up the world like a clock and just left it spinning. And you have the eternal laws executing the judgments upon people. And, and we see that happening, don't we? People talk about karma, you know, instant karma and things like that. But at the same time, the Bible shows us very clearly there is a day we're looking for. We're looking forward to this day. And again, God cannot let sin go on without a solution. Uh, there are judgments that we see in times past that we want to briefly quickly go through. We're not going to go through all these. We're not going to turn to all these. But you notice, of course, uh, the flood was a judgment of God. Uh, Not too long after that, in Genesis 11, 
the, the Lord scattered the people from the Tower of Babel. That was the judgment of God. In Isaiah 13 and verse 19, there's a reference to Babylon, uh, that, that, that it would be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. In Jeremiah 49, 17 and 18, Edom shall be in astonishment. Everyone who goes by it will be astonished and will hiss at all its plagues as in the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighbors, says the Lord. Amos chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, I overthrew some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Therefore, thus will I do to you, Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Again, this is just sort of some things to recognize that that you have these specific judgments that are carried out in times past, and there is a unifying theme to all of these that we need to recognize. It doesn't mean that, uh, when, for example, when Jesus says the times of the days of the Lord will be like the times of Noah, it doesn't mean we can look back to Noah and see exactly how everything's going to play out. But it does mean that there is a consistency to all these, and there is a benefit to looking at these specific judgments and seeing that God cannot allow wickedness to go on forever. There is no such thing as an equal good and evil in terms of God's reality. And we need to see that. That God has won and God will continue to win and good will always triumph over evil. And of course, even though we don't see that here in this world, as Christians, we look forward to the day when that will happen. And again, we, that, that's what we're talking about here. Earthly judgments versus the final judgment. One distinction I would make with, with some of these judgments before, it said at least a couple of times in Jeremiah concerning Israel and Judah, I will not make a full end. And even in all the dour, dark passages of Jeremiah concerning judgment and the judgments he carried out upon Judah and upon Israel, we have these pinpricks of light coming in, that there is a hope that God has for his people, a remnant that will carry through. And, and, and that remnant is what we want to focus on. But the interesting thing is that there's a difference here. And I want us to look at Hebrews 9. We need to see that even though there are similarities among all of God's judgments throughout Scripture, the final day of judgment will be unlike anything that had ever happened before. Because associated with this, and we don't even really have the passages or the time to go over this part, but associated with this is going to be the burning up of the earth and its works. And the existence of this life will be gone. There will be no physical remnant after this. The only remnant ultimately will be heaven. Hebrews 9 and verse 27. And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly await for them, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. It's interesting that Andrew read this before the Lord's Supper as well. Kind of lined up there. So we need to make that distinction. There is still a hope for the nation. and There's a hope here as well. But it's a hope for those who are faithful to the Lord, who will be overcomers in his kingdom. And it is truly centered upon the Lord. All these passages that we see here, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 8, uh, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5 verse 5, deliver such one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. 
2 Corinthians 1, 12 through 14, we, we boast, excuse me, we conduct ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, more abundantly toward you. Uh, I trust you will understand even to the end, as you understood in part, that we are your boast as you also are, or, are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Philippians 1, verses 6 and 10. The good work in you will complete until the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 10, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Philippians 2, verse 16. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. I believe that all of these passages, at least so far as I can see, and I may be mistaken, I believe all of them are looking for this final judgment, this final day where Christians will be proven to be right and true. And part of that purpose is to prove to all reality the glory and the justice of God and, and how wonderful He is. And in the meantime, we recognize that our, the judge is Christ. He will be on the judgment seat, Acts 10, 42. Uh, it was He who, who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1 he refers to Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. 1 Peter 4, verse 5, they'll give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Jesus will be the one carrying out that judgment. And he will be, he, he's the one that we need to be focusing on. He's the one that we need to be listening to. And the thing is, it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. And I know I make that statement and say, well, the Bible shows us people being surprised by it, right? But I just want to focus on that. You know, we're told all about this. Matthew 10, verse 15, referring to cities that reject Jesus. And in application, referring to people that reject Jesus. It's going to be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Similar statements in Matthew 11, uh, 22 and 24. But focus on Matthew 12 and verse 35. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. God will be looking at everything we are. And he's not looking at it in this way to bring us down or to just find something. So I've got you now. It's a necessity of his holy character. Let's briefly run through what we can find in terms of scriptures about the order. Let's recognize, first of all, in 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13, the date is unknown and will be unknown to us. I remember a few years ago, I fell out in California, had the date set up and everything. And I always love seeing on the news when they're quoting scripture to, to talk about something. Because it's like, okay, this, is, this is, feels bizarre, but you've got it right here. <laughs> yeah. And they quoted this verse. Uh, if I remember, at least one news outlet did. Um, thief in the night. It's going to come as a thief in the night. We're not going to know when it happens. And he talks about the, in, in verses uh, 11 and 12 that these things will be dissolved. Uh, the, the earth will be dissolved, being on fire, elements melting with fervent heat. Let's ask what comes before judgment. 
We find in 2 Peter 3 that, that scoffers are going to appear in those last days, which I think, again, we include the first century all the way up to today in this. That there are scoffers who will appear. The Lord's delaying His coming. He's not coming. A similar statement, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, where very specifically He's saying, I want you to know the judgment will not come until the man of sinners are revealed. And again, uh, we can't go that, down that rabbit hole today. But whatever the man of sin is, that's something that's going to happen before the judgment. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, we find there's going to be new bodies for the faithful. And even in that passage, if you go back to it, you can compare and contrast in terms of John 5. And it was seen to me, just briefly, that everyone is going to be resurrected. Even those who are wicked are going to be resurrected, but I would say that 1 Corinthians 15 establishes that it seems that only those who belong to God will be changed, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. They will receive a new body, some sort of transforming experience there. And again, we don't know all the details of that. We have in Matthew 25 the scene of judgment. And I know that in context we're talking about what we do and don't do, but there are some details here. We have the Son of Man upon His judgment throne, referring back to Romans 14.10, right? We have the sheep, those who are faithful, divided from the goats, those who are wicked. The sheep are awarded, awarded their inheritance as blessings from the Father. This goes back to, for example, 1 John 4 and verse 17, that inheritance we're to have. Uh, and the goats commanded to depart into everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. I believe that was referred to in Revelation 20 when we see that second death being meted out to those wicked at that time. We need to remember in all this as we see and we think about the order of these things that God's outcome, that the outcome is that God is just. And, and the thing is, we, we, can, we can theorize and we can say, well, will we know each other? Are we going to you know, be sad? You know, there's no way we can be sad in heaven. So how could we know that, that someone's missing? You know, Well, I for one hope that I have the level of faith to know that if someone's not there, there's a reason why they're not there. And when I'm there, that's all I'm going to be focused on is the glory of God and how wonderful He is. 2 Peter 2 and verse 4, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, going on from there, skipping to verse 8, I'm sorry, verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Again, you've got that distinction, that we have a reservation for punishment unto the day of judgment when all of this is going to be resolved. So, I don't know how useful this has been, but I hope it has been. Again, our mindset needs to be, I, I want to go to heaven. Heaven is an eternal place. It's a place that's going to last forever. And uh, this is not a place that's, that's perishable. It's not a place that's going to run down. It's going to be there forever. It's a beautiful place. It's a happy place. It's a place where every tear is going to be wiped away. And uh, there's not going to be any death anymore. Nothing negative or sad about this place. It's a place of rest. And this is the outcome of the promise that Jesus made. I will give you rest, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. In Hebrews 4 and verse 9, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. 
Our friends, by the way, among the Seventh-day Adventist churches will use this quote to try to say that, that the Sabbath is still to be observed. But I don't think that's what the Hebrew author is talking about there. He's talking about the final rest that we all look forward to. The Sabbath rest of the people of God. Revelation 14, verse 13 Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Heaven is a place of righteousness. Revelation 21, verse 27, Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I, I don't understand how our brethren, who accept those of different faiths and other faiths, and proclaim them as godly people, I don't understand how they can look at this passage and come to those conclusions. I, I don't get it. We need to know that God does not accept anything but purity. And this is not about exact, total perfection in every walk of our life. It is about grace and knowing that whatever I do that's against him. If I have the right heart and I'm penitent and contrite before him, I give myself to him totally. And I follow him with every ounce of my being that he will save me and lift me up into these heavenly realms forever. 2 Peter 3 and verse 13, according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's where we need to be looking forward to. We need to have this relationship so that we can be there with Him. And in every walk of our life, we can remember that no matter how bad things get, that I have a place that God has reserved for me. And I don't need to look at that day of judgment with any form of reservation. Friends, if there's something in your life this morning that, that you just don't feel comfortable about. And you haven't done anything about it yet. You haven't resolved to change it. How can you face the day of judgment? How can we face it without knowing? Without knowing. Think about the words of Jesus. If you need to respond to the gospel, please do so while we stand and sing.